Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. First time we give you a massive warm welcome, as we've already said. But as Andy said, this is such a great time to, uh, to come to Arena Church because this is the start of our series that's going to take us all the way up to Easter Sunday morning. And the series is called, Who is This Man? Who is this man? Of course, talking about Jesus. Now, Andy said that I was the one who did the Bible bashing. If you want to be bashed over the head with the Bible, that's a, a special room through there after the service, if you want to see. Nah, that's a joke. <laughs> All the new people are like, really? That's the thing we do here? <laughs> no, we don't do that. But listen, it's just great to see you. If you're new today, I just, I just kick back, relax, enjoy yourself. And, um, you know, the rest of us will just keep this thing going. But um, Matthew 16, verse 13, 16 says this. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now this Passage of scripture is going to sort of bookend this morning. Who is this man? We'll come back to it in a second. Now, you might not be able to tell this, but I'm a bit of a talker. Like, I I don't mind talking. I'm not necessarily a shrinking violet. And I play for a football team called Arena FC. Oh, gosh. Wow. Wow. Let's try that again. Arena FC. Come on now, let's, uh, let's keep this thing lively this morning. Arena FC, we are a good team, decent team. We actually lost yesterday in a semi-final though. I'm sorry to say, I've got the scars to prove it. But um, when, I, when I play football, like I said, I, I'm a talker and this manifests itself on the po- football pitch. It manifests itself with my own teammates and sometimes with the other team as well. Uh, I think the technical term for it is, uh, is trash talk. Uh, <laughs> I think that's what they say. Now we're playing this game and I was fairly vocal as usual when my opposite number, the guy playing alongside of me, I play centre mid, this other guy was, was playing centre midfield as well. And he says something like this, he says, who do you think you are? <laughs> I'm wearing number seven, David Becker. <laughs> I said to him, I said, the guy beating you 3-0. <laughs> Now, that's not very gracious. I, pastor, I shouldn't be, my, my wife is not approving of this. <laughs> I shouldn't be saying that. Who do you think you are? Has anyone asked you that question? Who do you think you are? See, I, on the face of it, it, it seems like a nice question, but people don't ask it like this, do they? They don't say, oh, who do you think you are? It's got more of attitude, isn't it? A bit of a stank face. Who do you think you are? <laughs> do you know what I mean? That's how people ask it. Who do you think you are? It's an inference that you're getting above your station, that you, are, you, you think uh, a bit more highly of yourself than your mind, that you may be trying to elevate yourself. Who do you think you are? I've heard this, people ask this question when they see someone that doesn't necessarily fit the common, common mold. Who do you think he is? Yeah. Or when someone's a bit jealous of someone else. Maybe they're wearing that Gucci dress or, or they've pulled up in that Porsche. Who do they think they are? Yeah. 
See, this question is usually asked by people who don't know you well, who are making a judgment on you based upon a snippet, a small snippet of your life that they've seen, based upon how they've interpreted a small bit of what you've done. In this passage of scripture in Matthew 16, we see Jesus flip the question on its head as he asks his closest friends, who do people say I am? To which his friends, the disciples, they, they say something like this, paraphrase, and say, look, Jesus, people say a lot about you. Some think you're just a good guy. Some think you're a great teacher. Some think you're one of the prophets. We don't know. People say a lot about you, Jesus. Some have got totally the wrong end of the stick. And I think that's what it's like today. That most people have the wrong end of the stick when it comes to Jesus. People think, think they know about Jesus based upon what they've read in the media or, or seen in the newspaper or heard from someone they know. But most people I speak to outside of church really have no idea who Jesus is. People think that Jesus came to condemn them, to point the finger, to, to make them fit a certain mold, to stop them enjoying their lives, maybe to fit a religious stereotype. But a lot of these responses boil down to what I think is the root of it. That people think God's mad at them. See, this couldn't be further from the truth. In Matthew 11, Jesus is called the friend of sinners. And do you know who called him that? The religious people of the day. The people who were working really hard to look like they had it all together on the outside... But on the inside, they were a mess. See, following Jesus isn't about wearing a mask or pretending that we're better than anyone else. It isn't about speaking or looking a certain way. Following Jesus is about being honest about who we are and bringing it all to him. See, God's not mad at you. He loves you. John 3.16, he proves this. He says this, For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Is that good? See, God didn't send Jesus to this earth to condemn you, to criticize you, to rub the hurt of your life in your face. He sent Jesus because he loves you. Just imagine the parents in the place. I think there's a few this morning. Imagine what it would be like to send off one of your children. It'd hurt, wouldn't it? It'd be the hardest thing ever. It'd be so, so hard. And this is what Jesus did for you and me. Do you think Jesus did that out of hate or out of anger? He did it out of love. He didn't just say God liked the world or God thought a bit about the world or God thought people were okay. It says, for God... So loved the world. God so loved the world. So he sent his only son to die and raise again so that there would be a chance that you'd come to know him. I want us to look at the story of Zacchaeus today so I can show you who Jesus is. Luke 19 verse 1 to 9, it says this. Just stay with me here. It's a little passage of scripture. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. 
He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was sure, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up at him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, on the face of it, this might seem like a nice, neat, tidy Bible verse because that's sometimes how we read the Bible, sort of out of the context of real life. But I want to give you some context to this account because the social connotations that are being set up here may not be so obvious to you this morning. See, if you were a tax collector in Jericho, you were pretty much hated by everyone for two key reasons. The first is this, you were a traitor. So you were collecting taxes for the Roman, uh, Roman Empire and you were taking them from your own people, the Jewish people. I mean, who likes tax collectors anybody? anyway? You know, it's that time of year, everyone's thinking, no, oh, I hate tax collectors, this guy is so right. <laughs> but this was even worse because the, these tax collectors, they were working on behalf of another country. It's almost like, um, you know, Paul working for Germany to take money away from the English. We wouldn't be so happy about that, would we? That was the first reason. And the second reason is this, that on top of taking taxes for the Roman Empire for you, they were also furnishing their own pockets, putting extra money in their own pockets by putting on their own taxes to make themselves wealthier. And this man Zacchaeus that we're introduced to here, he wasn't just a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector. See, these people were basically just hired hands. They were, they were employed thieves of the Roman Empire. Now, if you were to ask me who I'd compare someone like Zacchaeus to today, it'd be almost a mafia boss because this man was enforcing debts from his own people. He was take, taking advantage of people lower off than him and making them pay because if they didn't, you better believe this man would enforce with force. He was hated, chief tax collector. We see that this man was wealthy. You see, he was powerful. He was a wealthy man. He was in all the right crowds, but just for the wrong reasons. See, if he turned up to church today, Zacchaeus would roll up in his Ferrari. He'd step out in his Gucci shoes and he'd walk into church with his Armani suit on. This was a rich man. But this rich man was living an empty life. I don't think it's a stretch to believe that the only people that Zacchaeus could call friend were people who could get something from him. He probably had no real friends on this earth. And when we're introduced to Zacchaeus here in Luke 19, I think we see a lonely man who's at the end of his tether. Now just a point here, just because someone has the big house, the nice car, life looks good, doesn't mean they're doing okay. 
See, I'm sure people envied Zacchaeus. He would have been at the best parties, hung around the most influential people, ate at the best restaurants. Let me tell you, Zacchaeus' Instagram feed will have had a million likes. Like this guy, honestly, everyone's like, he is living his best life, this guy is. But on the inside, he was broken and hurting. In verse 3, it brings us back to that first question that we saw right at the start of this morning in Matthew 16. Because we see that Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. He heard all sorts about this man. He'd, he'd heard that he was a good teacher. He'd heard about the healings. He'd heard about how he'd fallen out with the religious people of the day. And this man, this Jesus, had drawn close to the despised. He'd heard people say that he was a prophet, that he was a good man, that maybe he could be the Messiah. But he had to find out for himself. He wanted to see who Jesus was for himself. He didn't want second-hand information. You might say to me, Josh, how do you know that Zacchaeus was at the end of his tether? I know because of what comes next. See, he wasn't blessed in the height department. Now, us guys who were under 5'10", 5'9", I don't know. (laughs) Know that in a crowd, he's not the easiest to see over. And this was a short man. We see here, and we see his desperation in what he does next. He decides to climb a tree. And in this day, this was despicable. Now, first of all, let me give you a scenario. You're having a great day at the park with your friends. You're at Clumber Park. You're walking around with the family. Great day. You look up a tree, and who's up the tree but Theresa May? It'd be crazy. Theresa May and Angela Merkel up a tree. <laughs> that sounds like a parable right there. <laughs> that would be crazy. You, you would lose a lot of respect for this person being up the tree. And in this day, for someone like Zacchaeus was... It, it, look, people didn't like him, but let me tell you, he was revered. He was powerful. He was a man of stature in terms of his standing. And he was up this tree. You would have been absolutely shocked. And this is what it's like for Zacchaeus. I can see it now. People already whispering as he's walking through this crowd. What's he doing here? This is no place for a man like that. And then he does the unthinkable and begins to climb up this tree. See, this was even crazier for men then because what you'll know if you've seen anything, any uh, documentaries or shows from this period is that men didn't wear skinny jeans like me today. They wore long dresses. And we all know what happens when someone climbs a tree in a dress. Let me tell you, my seven-year-old self knows that. (laughs) It was crazy. People were outraged. I think there were laughs in the crowd. I think people were jeering him. But Zacchaeus didn't care because he was desperate. People's attention turns back to Jesus who's coming that way. People are wall to wall, hundreds and probably thousands crowding round to speak to Jesus, to hear from Jesus, to be close to Jesus. And Jesus continues to move through this crowd. Zacchaeus' eyes are fixed on him, watching his every move. And Jesus keeps moving closer and closer. I imagine Zacchaeus' heart beating faster and faster as Jesus continued to come closer until he got to Zacchaeus' tree and he stops. See, I think at this point, Zacchaeus is probably scared to death. 
I think he's preparing himself for a public humiliation because I think he's expecting Jesus to look up that tree and to, to berate him, to call him out in front of the crowd. And I think that's what people are expecting as well. I think people are like, yeah, he's going to get it. We're going to see it now. Jesus is going to tell this man, he's going to tell him. Zacchaeus is he's scared to death. Don't you, don't you hate those moments where like a tea is just about to be spilt? Isn't it like time slows down? It's like, oh no. You know, it's like that. I think that's what this was like. This moment for Zacchaeus was turning into this excruciating pause as Jesus stops and looks up. But instead of pulling him down, he says, Zacchaeus, I want to spend time with you. The crowd are disgusted. Jesus, you do not know who this is. Jesus, don't you know what he's done? Like I said, Zacchaeus will have had people beaten up when they didn't comply. He will have stolen from a lot of the people in the crowd and the expensive clothes he wore, his nice house, those expensive meals were paid for by the people that Jesus was just walking past. People were outraged. And Jesus has the audacity to approach this man who on the outside looked like he had it all together, but on the inside was broken and desperate. And Jesus says, I want, to come, I want to get to know you, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus comes down from the tree and it says that he greeted him gladly. I want you to know this morning that no, no matter your background, no matter what you've done or where you've been, no matter what you think of yourself or what people say about you, Jesus welcomes you gladly this morning. Come on, is there anyone in here? Jesus welcomes you gladly this morning. Anybody glad about that? He's not mad at you. He loves you. He's passionate about helping you fill that hole that's in your life. See, in this crowd of people, we see Jesus' heart for people on full display. There would have been loads of great options in this crowd if Jesus just needed some food. Religious people who would have increased their standing. They would have been good people. People who looked like they had it all together. But Jesus walks to what I think is conceivably the worst person in the entire crowd. Just stay with me here. He was a thief, a mafia boss. Who knows what he'd done in his past to get those few pounds. I think Jesus walked to the worst person in this crowd. But he was a man who was desperate. See, Jesus' heart beats for lost people, people who are hurting and broken, people who are desperate, people who need help, people who haven't got it all together. And this has nothing to do with your outward appearance and everything to do with the condition of your heart. Even the very people that we lift up as heroes in our society have the same struggles as you and I. I mean, don't we all know what it's like to be lost? To put on a good facade, but on the inside, we're hurting. This isn't the part of us that we show to the world. This is the real us that we hide behind because we're scared of what people will think if they seal the real us. Our secrets, our fears, 
where we've messed up. See, and this is all it is to be a sinner, to have fallen short of God's best. And because God's perfect, if we aren't perfect for one second of one day in our lives, then we qualify as sinners. I know we get pent up about this word and it's not the nicest thing to be called. But the reality is this, this, if I asked the question a different way, are you perfect? No one would lift their hands in here. We know we're not perfect. We know we've messed up. We know we've got it wrong. I need to apologise this morning on behalf of many Christians who have made people outside of church feel like the second-class citizens, where they've looked down the nose at others, where they've condemned and criticised, where they've judged. I hope you can see from this account that Jesus' heart is for people. This is not the heart of Jesus. John 3.16, sorry, John 3.17 says, God didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Jesus' invitation to Zacchaeus is the same as his invite to you today. He wants to spend time with you. He wants you to get to know him. I want you to know this today. Jesus values you. See, we see that Jesus goes off to Zacchaeus' house and they ate together. At the end of dinner, Zacchaeus stands up. You say, I didn't see that dinner part. Well, there's a break in it and that's what we think happened. Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, his people around. And Zacchaeus says this. He says, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay four times the amount. Have you ever been around someone that makes you want to be better? You know, that that when you're with them, you're inspired to dream bigger, to do more, to be more loving, to live a life that makes a difference. That's what it's like to be around Jesus. See, we don't see Jesus berate Zacchaeus or command him to give anything away. But just being in the presence of Jesus, being around him, speaking with him, Zacchaeus has seen something bigger than the possessions he's acquired. He's realised that he's hurt people. He's taken advantage of people. He's messed up and he's saying to Jesus, I'm going to change. He gives away a huge chunk of his wealth. Not out of duty, but out of delight. He's realised there's greater treasure than earthly possessions. And that's Jesus. See, this is my experience of Jesus, that the more I spend time with him, the more I become like him. The more I want to be better, the more he empowers me to be who he created me to be. See, God isn't trying to turn us all into mindless robots who are all the same. I think people think that. I think people think that God wants you to to fit a religious stereotype where we all speak the same, we all listen to the same music, we all dress the same. I hope you can see from being here today that that is not the heart of God. See, God isn't trying to turn us into mindless robots. God created our diversity and our difference. He isn't trying to turn you into anyone else. He wants to turn you back into you. He wants to turn you into the person that he created you to be. And who knows that the struggles and the weight of life can turn us into someone completely different. We can get our eyes off who we're actually called to be. We can stop dreaming. We can stop believing for more. And what Jesus comes with, he says, I want you to live the life that I created you to lead. And it's a big life. And it's an expansive life. It's a life where you step in to more. 
See, I honestly believe that when you see Jesus for who he is, he's irresistible. And then we look at the response to Zacchaeus' declaration. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus outlines his mission plainly here. The son of man came to seek and to save the lost. As I said earlier, I think we all know what it feels like to be lost, to feel like we have no purpose. And if that's you, Jesus came for you. He didn't come to create a new religion, to put rituals in the way of you and God. Jesus came to remove all that. He didn't come to establish a religion. He came to start a relationship. A relationship where he carries you, where he helps you, where he helps you with your hurt and gets rid of your rubbish. He came for you and he came for me. See, the religious people of the day, they used the title friend of sinners as a jibe. But Jesus took it as a compliment because that is exactly who he is. Jesus was the craziest guy around, I tell you, because... Because the, the, the religious people today, they were criticising him because he was hanging around at the parties, because he was at the meals, because he was with people he shouldn't have been with. He's the friend of sinners. I want to go back to the central question that's run through this morning. Who is this man? I hope you can see today that he's your friend. The band are just going to come back up and we're going to sing again in a second. But in Matthew 16, after Jesus asks, who do people say I am? He then asks the million pound question. Who do you say I am? See, this is the only question that matters. It's every other question fades in the light of this question. No other question is worthy of response. See, that crowd that Jesus pushed through on his way to Zacchaeus, they all knew about Jesus. They all knew about him. They'd heard about some of the stuff he'd done, but they didn't know him personally. Will you be like the crowd who you might have built your thoughts on Jesus based upon other things that you've seen? Or will you be like Zacchaeus who took the time to get to know him? That line in verse 3, Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus is. So you can build your assumptions on Jesus all you like. You can, you can worry it away. You can say that this Christianity thing is nothing. But how do you know if you've not looked for yourself? It's just based on secondhand information. I believe this that Jesus came for you, that Jesus loves you and he wants to take you into a life that's far bigger than the one you can lead on your own. John 10.10 says this, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come, this is Jesus talking, that you may have life and life to its fullness. God doesn't want to get you living a small life. He doesn't want you to fit a religious stereotype. He wants to empower you to live a huge life for him, a life that's far bigger than the one that you can live on your own. He wants to set you free into all you were called to be. And that's my invitation this morning. Will you take time to get to know on your own who Jesus is? 
I just ask that everyone closes their eyes and bows their head. You're not praying, you're just giving people the privacy.